Good evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted Muse, a podcast that showcases my writing work in the horror, paranormal, supernatural, and southern gothic genres, as well as the folklore and history that inspired it. This is episode 30 of Haunted Muse, and the sixth episode featuring my novel, Skeleton's Blood, read in a weekly serial format. Okay, here we go. Skeleton's Blood, Chapter 6. Colton eased the door to Beth's hospital room open slowly, careful not to make a sound. Beth's roommate from RISD, Li Ming, sat beside her. Inside, it was completely dark, save for the soft glow of Li Ming's laptop, which sat open in front of her. Any changes? he asked, taking in the girl's shimmering hair, which cascaded in a long prismatic spectrum of perfect balayage, in pinks and purples over her shoulders. No, Mr. Merritt, nothing. Her warm, dark eyes wrinkled with concern. And I've been here for a couple of hours. The doctors say she just needs more rest. They're still giving her blood. Li Ming motioned to the transfusion bag that hung on a rack beside Beth's bed. I've been working on posting an update for her fans. Trying to sound helpful, you know? But it's hard when I have to make it up because nobody knows anything. She paused for a second, struggling for what to say next. I'm really sorry, Mr. Merritt. I've been keeping an eye on her, like we talked about, I promise. She's really been doing well. No drinking, no drugs, going to the gym a lot, and otherwise just pulling a lot of late hours in the studio, working on pieces for our New Year's show. I didn't really think twice about it until I walked in and saw her passed out. Beth's always been kind of a vampire, never needed a lot of sleep to keep going. She's just a ball of energy. I should have known something was wrong when she was so tired all the time. I mean, look at this. Colton shook his head in wonder at why people who have the least to feel sorry for are almost always the first to apologize, but said nothing as he slipped into the chair beside Li Ming. Taking out one of her earbuds and wiping it off quickly with an alcohol swab, she handed it to him and then pulled up a video. It was the most recent one from Beth's YouTube channel. He popped in an earbud as Li Ming pushed play. Hey girls, how y'all doing out there? Beth began, trying to sound chipper in her usual homegirl drawl, but coming off fake enough even that she realized it. Sorry to be representing so poorly this morning. She paused to point out the dark circles under her eyes. But I haven't been sleeping so well lately, having all kinds of weird dreams. Pretty cray-cray. Beth stopped again, this time to let out a huge jaw-dislocating yawn. <sighs> that lasted for several seconds. She tried to play it off as part of the routine. See what I mean? Anywho, that's the inspiration for today's episode on... She made an exaggerated face of anticipated surprise as she pulled out a handful of makeup tubes from off-camera, fanning them with the flourish of a magician. Concealers! Beth stared straight into the camera as she affected a more mysterious tone. What do you need to conceal or want to reveal? Either way, we'll figure it out together today on Beauty Buzz by Beth. As the show's theme song, a digital piano version of Flight of the Bumblebee, laid over a syncopated heavy bass line began to play, a swarm of animated honeybees flew across the screen, 
each trailing the name of a concealer product, into a list of five that Beth would deem over the course of the show as, quote, worth the buzz. Lee Ming hit stop and then moved the cursor back to the shot of Beth, pointing out the dark circles under her eyes. Do you see that? she asked Colton. Beth's like obsessed with skincare. She's never looked like that before. Even when she was doing all the aware that Beth's father was hanging on her every word, Li Ming altered her word choice. Other stuff. Not for days and days at a time like that. Colton nodded in agreement. As Beth had reached her teen years, he'd learned to tell her to be ready at least an hour in advance of whenever they planned to leave to go anywhere, so that she could obsess over her makeup routine or latest pimple. At the time, it had been infuriating, but now he realized it was like research for her. Research that apparently paid off, Colton thought, noting that Beth's YouTube channel now had over a 100,000 subscribers. Can we start it over? He asked Li Ming. What was that part she said about weird dreams? Oh, that guy, replied Li Ming as she prepared to restart the video. I'm sure you've already heard about him. That creepy dude whom she used to dream about as a kid that was always watching her? The one in the navy jacket? Colton shook his head. No? Huh. That's weird. She's talked about him forever to me. Said he used to be in all her nightmares when she went to visit her mom in New York. Not doing anything, just standing there, watching her, like some kind of weirdo. Anyway, she's been dreaming about him again. It started a few weeks ago, around when she started getting tired all the time. I told her I thought it was some kind of psychological thing, like how when I'm starting to get sick, I dream about a storm cloud chasing me. Then when the lightning strikes and wakes me up, I'm like, you know, Li Ming gave a little mock cough, <coughs> actually sick. That's what I told her I thought this navy jacket guy was. A sign from her subconscious that she was about to come down with something. A navy jacket? Colton asked, thinking out loud. Yeah, replied Li Ming, remembering more details. Like a legit navy, navy color jacket. For old-fashioned sailors, with the big brass buttons, whole nine. He had long hair, too, and his eyes... She waved her delicate hand of long pink airbrush tips in front of her face. Beth always said there was something wrong about his eyes. What was wrong about whose eyes? Liza Jane asked as she strode into the room. Heedless of her sleeping daughter, Liza Jane's tall heels clapped loudly on the floor. Beth stirred, then rolled onto her side but did not wake. Colton frowned in her general direction, which Liza Jane ignored. Mumbling a vague excuse about the need to get back to campus, Li Ming hastily gathered, gathered her things and left. You didn't answer me, said Liza Jane frostily. Then after Li Ming left, who's that pink-haired kid? Colton crossed his arms in front of himself, preparing for the type of quiet battle that marked many of their confrontations regarding what was to be done about Beth. That pink-haired kid is Li Ming Wan, daughter of Chris Wan, he explained. Liza Jane returned an incredulous expression that clearly questioned how was she to know who that was? Chris Wan is the president of Lotus Soft, the relaxation app company? Again, Liza Jane's expression said, so? Colton rolled his eyes and continued, you have it on your phone, Sage Space? 
Finally, Liza Jane's lips formed an oh of recognition, as Colton realized their overplumpness beneath her frosted lipstick meant she'd had another recent round of collagen injections. She's also your daughter's college roommate, best friend, and business partner. Liza Jane glanced over with a significant amount of shade eye at her sleeping daughter and scoffed. What kind of business? Colton, who'd heard enough about Buzzboo from Beth to recite its products by heart, decided to ignore the fact that her mother was so uninvolved in Beth's life she hadn't the foggiest idea about her daughter's life or friends. Well, their current winter project is mostly sustainably sourced outerwear, classically tailored long frock coats, but for women. It builds upon the fall collection in which they introduce their new bamboo fiber leggings concept paired with off-the-shoulder tunic sweaters. All of the products are made from bamboo fibers, and Beth promotes them also on her YouTube channel, hence the name, Buzzboo. It's eco-friendly, non-static, and available in body-inclusive sizes. So, clothes for fat girls? Liza Jane said, whose brow would have wrinkled had it not been frozen by recent Botox injections. Why? Beth's not fat. Colton's rebuttal to Liza Jane's dismissive comment was lost as Beth began to stir. Mom, is that you? She whispered, fluttering to her side like a moth in her unseasonably gauzy pastel-colored caftan, which Colton noticed she'd paired with skin-tight white denim and tall platform espadrilles, but no bra, so that her unnaturally perky breasts were plainly displayed. Liza Jane replied, Yes, baby, I'm here. How are you? What can I do? Beth rolled away from her mother, struggling to sit up. She squinted at Colton. Wow, both of you. I must have been, like, nearly dead or something. Beth smiled weakly. What's going on? How long have I been here? You're going to be okay, darling, Colton said, reaching over to smooth Beth's wild golden curls, which were sticking out every which way. And you've been here since last night. Lee Ming said that she came in and saw you passed out on the floor. They brought you here to the hospital and figured out that you'd lost a lot of blood, severe anemia. The doctors are still trying to figure out why. Beth blinked several times, taking in her surroundings. Noticing the blood transfusion bag hooked up to her left arm, just below the tiny tattooed outline of two sparrows in black ink, Beth waved at them woozily before sinking back into the mound of pillows at her back. Sensing that his daughter needed rest, but that her mother was about to pour forth a fountain of questions, Colton motioned for Liza Jane to follow him quietly out into the hall, which she did. However, the amount of noise from her jangling armful of diamond and platinum bracelets alone made him wince. "'Where were you?' Colton asked, once outside the room, surveying her unseasonable attire and deeply orange spray tan. "'You look like... Some tropical bird who got left behind when all the others flew south for the winter. As a matter of fact, I was in South Beach, Liza Jane replied primly. We're on holiday break from shooting, so I was down at a cleansing retreat and having, <clears throat> she cleared her throat, some work done. Took a car to the airport as soon as I got the call. Didn't even change clothes. I'll have to run down to Saks when I leave here and get something more appropriate to wear, but none of that matters. Where have you been? she asked accusingly. Oh, you know, the usual, Colden replied, trying to suppress the flush he felt rising to his cheeks, as it often did when he was angry. At least, 
She came, he thought, and in a hurry. That was something. Working for the government, keeping up with our daughter. I couldn't tell you'd had any work done at all. Liza Jane gave him a dismissive, hmm, as she tried to decide whether his last remark was meant to be a compliment or bitchy. She settled on the latter, since it allowed her to return the volley. Well, it seems as if you're doing a poor job on at least one of those counts, since Beth is laid up in the hospital with a blood bag hanging out of her arm and no one knows why. In the back of his mind, Colton could hear Nick telling him not to take the bait. Breathe, he'd say, if he were here. Take a deep breath and count to ten as you exhale, then speak. Colton inhaled hard and then began counting. One, two, three, all the way to ten. Then he changed the conversation. Lee Ming told me that Beth had been having nightmares. Something about a man in a navy jacket? Liza Jane's expression went from haughty to awkward then sort of pained, as Colton noticed again that her forehead would have naturally wrinkled, but for the Botox. Oh, she said. Then again. Oh, him. So you know who he is, or what it is, Colton asked, scrutinizing Liza Jane's face intently now. She knew something, he could tell. How come she never told me? Now it was her turn to take a breath which she did, letting out a large sigh as she took her sunglasses out of her heavily frosted hair. She nibbled the tip on one of the earpieces for a moment, as if deep in thought before speaking again. When Beth was a little girl, and she'd come to visit me in New York, almost every night she had these dreams, nightmares, or night terrors, that's what my therapist called them, night terrors about a man in a navy jacket staring at her with these, these laser eyes, she called them. At first I was really worried, because during shooting I left her with a nanny, a good one, Russian girl, highly recommended from a top agency, but you still never know, do you, who your child sees when you're away at work and there was someone else for the day. Poor Olga. I questioned her mercilessly, but she kept saying, no, no, there wasn't anyone who looked like that who'd been anywhere near Beth. Nothing on the television that looked like that to scare her, either. Absolutely nothing. Just this mysterious menace from out of the blue. Stop just a second, said Colton. You're telling me you took Beth to see a therapist over all these night terrors, or whatever they were, and then never thought to tell me about them? I'm her father, and I'm her mother, Liza Jane snipped, but then immediately softened. I was afraid to tell you, afraid that it would mean the end of my visitation with her completely. God knows it was hard enough to arrange things without the added struggle of you knowing that she'd wake up screaming in the night every time she came to see me. But it kind of resolved itself anyway, didn't it? Liza Jane asked as she peered through the narrow window of Beth's room to see her still sleeping daughter. Yes, it did, Colton replied softly, remembering how he'd interpreted Beth's increasing reluctance to go through with her monthly visits to see her mother as evidence the child was ignored when she went. That was the way Beth had allowed him to envision it anyway. 
Macbeth part with Olga the Russian nanny, while her mother continued on with her days as if she weren't even there. Feeling as if his assumptions were correct, Colton had never really pondered any other reasons. Did you ever figure out the source of the nightmares? Perhaps there's some kind of triggering event in her life that would have caused her to start having them again now. If we knew, maybe it might... But Colton shook his head, thinking, No, there's no way that nightmares should be connected to her anemia, right? Colt, I just play a doctor's wife on television. My medical knowledge is pretty limited, okay? But I am pretty sure that the night terrors couldn't cause blood loss. You're right on that. I can tell you that my therapist said whatever was causing them seemed to be linked to her visits with me. Emotional trauma caused by the temporary separation, perhaps, he thought. She met Colton's gaze. So, you see, it wasn't just me being selfish when we went off the visitation schedule. I kept trying for a while, and when it didn't get better, I just thought, well, I just thought it would be better if I backed off. Colton took another deep breath, tamping down the urge to point out that she could have come to visit them in Asheville instead. There were more important problems to deal with at the moment, though. He surveyed Liza Jane's outfit. She looked like what she was. A withering bird of paradise, shivering in the cold hospital hallway. If you have time to stay with her now, I can run to Saks and pick you up some things. All the same sizes still? Same styles? Yes, always the same sizes, of course. I have to. You know that. It's in the contract, replied Liza Jane, the last of her initial confrontational tension ebbing out of her from this act of kindness. And I trust your judgment on style. Your taste is always... Excellent. Colton nodded, and to Liza Jane's surprise, hugged her before leaving. As she watched him go, she shook her head, as always, in wonder at the complex mystery of a man whom she definitely shouldn't have married, but who incomprehensibly had stood by her side for so many years. As she opened the door to her daughter's room, much more softly this time, Liza Jane was glad that she hadn't told Colton the other part of it about the fact that she, too, had begun having the same nightmares as Beth during her first trip to New York, but with her high school theater group. That night, the very first one she'd ever spent outside of the South, Liza Jane had a night terror, too, the same one as Beth, about the man in the navy jacket. He stared at her with those burning green eyes. Beth had called them lasers, but Liza Jane had thought of them as death rays, like out of the comic books her older brothers read. Evil alien eyes from outer space. She'd been so scared she hadn't been able to fall asleep after the second night in the hotel. Liza Jane's drama teacher had scolded her for falling asleep later during the plays they'd seen each day. Although Liza Jane had looked forward to the theater trip for months and knew that the tickets were very expensive, her painfully frugal minister father would have never allowed her to go if she hadn't paid for it out of her own pageant money winnings. Being in the theater, surrounded by the hum of humanity, was the only place that Liza Jane felt safe enough to rest on that trip. Because, she thought to herself, settling into the same chair at Beth's side in which Colton had occupied previously, he was so inhuman. That was it. 
not the suggestion that her therapist, him she had fired, for his inability to understand the reason behind Beth's night terrors had insisted upon. His theory had been that the man in the navy jacket represented a fear of an authority figure and some kind of hidden terror that Liza Jane had repressed about her father. The therapist's insistent pushiness that some kind of, quote, trauma, whether physical or emotional, must have happened to her, and that she was unconsciously channeling the results of that repressed trauma through her daughter so much that they shared the same nightmares, was offensive and ludicrous to Liza Jane. Yes, her family had been insanely religious, and she agreed that had contributed to the bizarre circumstances of her own marriage. However, this man, the one in the night terrors that she and Beth now shared, he was something else entirely. He was not human. He was, for lack of any better description, evil. When Liza Jane realized she'd never be able to make the therapist accept that fact, though she'd tried, he'd jumped on a soapbox as tall as her father's had been. Then, after spouting academic theory and railing that evil was a, quote, repressive social construct, she'd fired him, never telling the pompous little fellow that she'd controlled her own night terrors by knocking herself completely out, either with booze, pot, or pills, every night since she'd moved to New York as an adult. Although it was aging her prematurely, Liza Jane had come to understand a few simple facts about her life and her night terrors. She had to stay in New York during the run of each season that her series filmed, but she left immediately afterwards. Not just New York, but the entire region, because the nightmare about the man with the glowing green eyes seemed to follow her until she got at least several hundred miles from it. So, if she wanted to continue being the, quote, queen of daytime, she had to render herself stone cold out of it every night, because if she were stoned, then she could sleep. For whatever reason, the man in the navy jacket who haunted her dreams could not find her then. Based on the recent revelation that Beth's childhood nightmares had returned, Liza Jane suspected the reason her daughter reached for pills was the same as her own. Beth's addiction issues had arisen last year, the first year she'd spent alone and living in Providence. She'd gotten clean over the summer that she'd spent partly in an expensive rehab facility in California and partly during her, quote, reward trip to Paris afterward. Her recovery was so reassuringly complete that by fall, when she'd started back to RISD filled with renewed vigor, Liza Jane had hoped it was over. Now, however, as she watched her daughter sleeping peacefully, Liza Jane was not so sure that it ever would be. At a loss for what to do and needing an escape from her thoughts, Liza Jane took out her phone from her pocket. She pulled up Beth's YouTube channel and saw that Li Ming had posted a short video clip in which she gave a more positive review of Beth's condition than Liza Jane felt was truthful. Yet, she understood. In celebrity speak, quote, hospitalized for exhaustion, as was Beth's current diagnosis, was usually translated as overdose by the public, and Li Ming had carefully avoided those dreaded words. Considering that Beth had done a perfect job of never allowing her internet audience in on the fact that she'd spent a short stint in rehab before her Paris hiatus of the previous summer, Liza Jane appreciated her daughter's friend's efforts to keep the record discreet, if not completely accurate, about Beth's status. Growing up, Liza Jane had never been allowed to form close friendships with girls her own age. 
Even the girls who attended church with her, where her father preached, were deemed, quote, too fast and not morally appropriate to keep his only daughter's company. Once set, this absence of female companionship had persisted as Liza Jane grew older and became a beauty queen. Girls interpreted her aloofness as lack of interest or being stuck up, which couldn't have been further from the truth. As a teen, Liza Jane longed to have girlfriends, but she simply had no idea what to say when other girls started talking about boys and fashion. Outside of pageants, which her father only allowed her to participate in for the scholarship money, Liza Jane was never permitted to ponder such vanities. For Liza Jane, the pageants had been a huge concession, an escape hatch that she dove for once she determined it was a way out of Ketchup Town. Her father had made it clear early on that he saw no point in Liza Jane furthering her education beyond high school when a woman's place was clearly in the home. If Liza Jane wanted to go to college, she'd have to do it alone. Thus, when Colton had called to say that Beth was accepted to RISD, Liza Jane's excitement had been underlain with twin awarenesses of envy and guilt. Envy for the fact that the daughter she had birthed would continue to enjoy a fuller youth than Liza Jane could have ever imagined, and guilt for not having been there to support her in it. What can I do about it now? Liza Jane asked into the air. Then she smiled at the recollection of the last time she'd sat alone in the hospital room with her daughter. That question was how she'd come up with Beth's name. When Colton had returned to check on them, Liza Jane had been sitting up in bed, holding the baby and softly singing, Beth, what can I do? The refrain from an old kiss song. Colton had taken a picture of the two of them and said the name was perfect. And Liza Jane thought, as with everything else, Colton had told her during the long years of their very unusual relationship, Beth was perfect. Too perfect to really be hers. With the exhaustion of her long flight from Miami coming over her in a wave, Liza Jane lay down at the foot of Beth's bed. Folding her left arm under her head as a pillow, it exposed the tattoo that she'd gotten to match Beth's, even though she'd never shown it to her daughter. Two tiny outlines of a pair of sparrows in black ink. She was soon fast asleep. Not until she awakened did Liza Jane remember she'd made one crucial error by rushing away to the Miami airport and hopping the first plane for Providence without even packing a suitcase. She'd left all of her sleeping pills back at her hotel in South Beach. Liza Jane's phone lay open to the screen for Beth's YouTube channel. If she'd been awake, Liza Jane would have seen a new comment pop up in the queue after the video that Lee Ming had posted. It read, quote, I am pleased to know that her mother is staying there tonight by her side. Darling Beth should not be left alone. This is the end of chapter six. Be sure to tune in next week for the next chapter of Skeleton's Blood here on the Haunted Muse podcast. Until next time, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to remain ever watchful because you never can tell someone or something somewhere out there just might be watching you. <laughs>